welcome to another episode of the In the Gap podcast. I'm Jason Tabris. On this episode, I've got John DeMarsico on the show. He is the director for SNY of all Mets broadcasts. Uh, and if you listen to the last episode with writer Noah Gattel, uh, you know John came. John's work came up. Noah wrote a great article about him in the New York Times this season. And uh, it was all about some of the innovative touches that John has brought to Mets broadcasts. So when I share that episode, John, uh, I, I mentioned John. And John uh, gave it a listen and gave a, a glowing review of it on Twitter. Definitely go back and listen to the episode with Noah after this one. Um, but uh, this is another one. That's one of my favorite episodes. This one as well, another one of my favorite episodes. John is tremendous. Uh, we talked a bit about movies. He's a huge film nerd. Uh, not just baseball movies. I know that's usually like the forte here, but we did talk about uh, some of 2022's best films. <laughs> Again, not about baseball. I apologize, uh, but it was fun. It's near the end of the of, of the of the episode. We do go on a bit uh, and share our top ten list for this year. So uh, there is that to look forward to or avoid if you're not into uh, films and you just want to talk. About, I just want to hear about baseball and the Mets broadcast. Uh, there is a ton about that. We just really got sort of a sense of the you know what is involved with John's job, his ability to innovate, working with with Gary Cohen, Ron Darling, and Keith Hernandez being mentored by the great bill webb uh it's a really just charming story about john and bill's relationship uh and and how uh john learned uh we start off by breaking down one of my favorite moments from the last season which was the uh it's kind of come back into my mind uh over the last uh couple of weeks now that jacob de left the mats and went to go pitch for the rangers so it's the uh, the simple man sort of warm-up uh with de when he returned to city field after being gone uh, up until August of this season and and, and missing a, a chunk of 2021. And it's just a, a great sort of uh, environment moment where, you know, we see DeGrom on that mound. We see the reaction of fans, the song, Simple Man, from Leonard Skinner just pumping through the PA. Uh, it's just a tremendous, it's just an iconic moment from the last season. So we talked to John about that to start things off. Uh, I asked him about Buck Schalter's response to the Kill Bill uh, Cam, when Mets hitters get uh, got hit by pitches at a record level this season, turning Edwin Diaz uh, or helping to turn Edwin Diaz into a WWE superstar with those uh, Narcos uh, entrances and, and uh, the, the look of those moments. And again, like I said, there's a lot of in-depth stuff about like the behind the scenes of uh, what it takes to pull off one of these broadcasts, some thoughts on some of the other elements of flair that broadcasts do, uh, things like mic'd up moments with players. It's just a tremendous conversation for anybody who is just an absolute, you know, John mentions, and I, I've said this many times, and, and I, I'm a big believer in the idea of this. Uh, it's a show. It's that these games are a show. It's like your favorite drama. Uh, you know, you watch it all year long. Uh, you know, you, there's highs and lows, your favorite characters. It really has every element of like a really uh, intense TV show. And so, John, talking to John about just sort of the, you know, the ins and outs of trying to make that feel compelling and interesting and unique while also still delivering for people uh, and not jarring people that are, you know, that have been watching this for their whole lives, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tightrope walk, I think. And uh, he does it so, so well. So we do talk about that. We don't talk about any of like the hot stove stuff. Simply because we talked on Tuesday of the winter meetings when things were still swirling around. And, you know, that was Verlander had signed, but it wasn't official yet. Um, DeGrom was, uh, had gone to the Rangers. That was official. 
Um, but we just heard Brandon Nemo's back. The Nets signed David Robertson, Brooks Rally trade, uh, Jose Quintana, all these moves. They may still sign Senga or um, Chris Bassett. There are people on Twitter who want them to sign Carlos Correa. I think it's probably unlikely that Steve Cohen's going above 400 million on this payroll, but we shall see. Um, yeah, again, we don't really talk about that stuff, but it's so much great stuff about uh, Mets broadcasts and sort of the business of broadcasting baseball. So uh, give it a listen. I hope you love it. And uh, I'll check back. So not to uh, lead off here in kind of a sad uh, thing, but uh, I found myself after the Grom news uh, replaying the uh, the Simple Man uh, kind of warm up when he returned to City this year. Uh, it's a really great moment, um, and I'm just curious if you can tell me a little bit about sort of how that uh, that kind of the idea of that shot came to be because it's one of those things where. Um, you know, it's it's genius is in how much it allows the moment to kind of tell the story. That moment for me, I got a lot of attention this year um, uh, about the Edwin Diaz walk in with Narga, which I'm sure we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But for me, my my favorite my favorite moment of the season was probably the moment you're talking about with Degrom and Simple Man, just because it was the perfect storm of um, events that sort of led us there. Um, it was his second start. It was his first home start. Um, he made his first start off the DL in DC the week prior. Mm-hmm. And we actually blew off the commercial break and stayed for him taking the mound in DC. Obviously it was a lot less fanfare, but it was a very cool moment to see all the Met fans in attendance in DC, giving him a standing ovation as he took the field for the first time in over a year. Um, so the morning of the home his first home start i woke up and said i'd love to do that again then it occurred to me oh man he's got simple man so the wheels were already turning when i woke up that morning and uh, we had a rain delay and so we had a lot more flexibility with what we could do with our uh, our commercial format before the game starts because we're kind of locked into the, the those formats you know that that kind of pays the bills so we don't have a ton of flexibility, but if we pick our spots right, we can certainly um, have a little more freedom. Well, anyways, so we had a rain delay that that afternoon. It was a quick rain delay. It was like a 30-minute rain delay. It was announced that it was going to be a 30-minute delay. And I, I, I looked at our producer and I go, let's get it back a little early from the Phil programming to, to really do this right. And I wasn't sure how it was going to go because it was, it, was a, it was a day game. It wasn't a total sellout. But there was a buzz in the ballpark that was it was tangible. And as I saw him in the dugout and I and I, I, I got I got 20 cameras in the ballpark and I, I had the guys look around. The people were standing up 10 minutes before he even took the mound. And I go, this has the potential to be really cool. And as he's taking the field. I have a communication with, with just the announcers that, you know, it's a talk back and forth, almost like a radio frequency. Mm-hmm. And I, I say I say to Gary, Keith, and Ron, I may I may um, pump in a little bit more PA than usual here, um, just to give them a heads up. And they said, "Oh, that's great. Um, do you want us to say anything?" Gary said, and I I, I go, you know, I kind of left that up to them. 
And then Ronnie goes, you know, what are we going to do? Give stats. And so that was their cue to just kind of lay out. And as soon as that first chord hit from that song, we all kind of knew in the truck that this was going to be a pretty special moment. I, I, I've said I've said in some other interviews that I've done that that kind of felt like the truck was levitating at one point because we knew we were watching something pretty special. Um, and it was a, it, growing up a meth fan. It was it was a cool moment for me because this guy has been superhuman for so long, and to be a part of something that you know is special in the moment because a lot of time you don't really you're so busy you don't really you're not able to really appreciate the moment that's one of those few times in my career where I've um I've really taken a step back in the middle of the moment and gone wow that was really cool and then you gotta do the game and he's you know obviously Jacob deGrom and he was fantastic and it was um it was a really cool moment because it was organic and it did happen spur of the moment. And it was not a lot of pre-planning went into it. And those are usually, um, that usually is the recipe for, you know, a special moment, really there's not a lot of planning involved. So it makes it hurt a little more that he, <laughs> that he, uh, he chose to go out to Texas, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, I mean, again, I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunities with, uh, with the new ace uh, to, to to showcase him, um, but I, I am curious about um, what what I said what I said at the beginning uh, the idea of sort of letting the action dictate and you, you spoke to like it being you know an organic thing that kind of came to be the DS thing is great uh, I was at a Mets game this year I don't remember when it was in June mid June I think it was the Brewers get uh, series. Um, but, uh, Diaz came in and I was in the middle of a conversation. My cousin like nudged me the hell I watched this. And, and like, I actually saw the whole thing like live so much of what you're seeing with that Diaz introduction, that genius shot is it just transports you to the stadium. It just takes yeah. you, you're, you're there. And so much of that to me is like, it's great with the sound and pumping in and everything like that. It's a great TV moment, but so much of it is actually just letting the action sort of be is that i guess an operating philosophy for you and is that something that you've kind of grown into over time yeah so it's it's a it's a it's a it's a couple different things so baseball is a unique sport from a television perspective because it's every single day it's 162 games a year plus spring training postseason blah 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 and so you have a lot of opportunities for special things to happen if there's there's a lot of mundane things there's a lot of horrible games there's a lot of boring moments but when you get those great moments there you get a lot of them over the course of the season just because of the 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 volume of games that are going on um and from a production standpoint you kind of um because it's every day and you get the reps and you we have a a solid core of our four production guys plus our obviously our three announcers and we've all been together for so long. It's sort of a well-oiled machine that when one of these big moments happens or something interesting happens on the field, we're all able to kind of shift gears into that neck, you know, our high gear and play off of each other. And it's sort of, uh, it's sort of like, you know, free hold, free form jazz, you know, when something like that's going on, we're playing off one another. We're anticipating where Gary's going to go. We're anticipating where the announcers are going to go. And obviously I have, I'm so fortunate to be blessed with the, uh, the greatest production crew technically in the sport, our camera guys, our audio guys, and everyone in the truck. Um, most of them are veterans that have been in the business for 20 plus years, have done multiple world series. And it's sort of the perfect storm of, um, 
a lot of moving pieces that come into place and become seamless on the air to someone that's watching. You know, it's <clears throat> I, I did a lot of things that caught people's attention this year, but the majority of the time, if people aren't noticing what the production crew is doing, we're really doing our jobs correctly um, because it is seamless and it's three and a half hours every night. And <clears throat> we want things to go smoothly and things to kind of, you know, be a baseball game. We've all watched hundreds and hundreds, thousands of baseball games before. So it's, it's still baseball at the end of the day, but if when we can throw in those little flares here or there, recognize that something is special, then we, we have the people in place and the equipment to, to make the, make the, the, the normal baseball game more of an event for the people watching at home. How does the, the kind of pivot to more of these moments, how does that sort of, uh come to be as far as uh decisions to kind of you know open things up a little bit more creatively um i'm curious about the evolution there sure so i studied film in college and always thought that i would kind of go that route um as far as my career uh i but i at the same time i also played baseball my whole life and grew up a mets fan <clears throat> and I sought out an internship at SNY in the summer of 2009. And uh, the rest is kind of history. I've been there ever since. And so that film background that I have has always lend, led me to kind of bring that point of view to whatever it is I might be doing. And I've done all the jobs in the truck. I've done graphics. I've been back in the replay room. I've cut packages. I, I've produced uh, a little bit. And and obviously now I direct, um, I've always tried to pick my spots and inject a little bit of my personality onto the broadcast, whether it be a cool graphic or um, a really, you know, a cool video package or something, you know, a, a historic roll in that I found that is I, I'd never seen before. Or, you know, back when I was back when I was in back in the replay room, when I cut packages for in game, I would if you know Friday the 13th rolled around, I would do a package of all of the Jasons in Mets history and do like a roll in on that. And it was, it's that kind of stuff that I kind of, um, I would pick my spots and I'm lucky enough to work for a network that has allowed me to sort of um, <laughs> take some chances that a lot of guys probably don't get a chance to take, you know? So um, it, I'm, I'm at the end of the day, it's uh, I'm happy that people seem to like it. Um, I'm glad they do. I'm not sure I would have the the ability to to keep pushing the envelope if the feedback was negative. But it's been it's for the most part it's, it's been pretty positive. And uh, the folks back at SMY they 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 certainly went from tolerating it to embracing it now at this point. And they <laughs> have seen who I am as a as a creator and. You know, I, I have to put the, the brakes on every now and then because after all, I am doing a baseball game. It's not a, <laughs> it's not a, uh, it's not a film or a, a movie set. It's, it's a baseball game and people are used to seeing a baseball game a certain way, but I'm allowed to pick my spots here and I'm going to keep doing that too. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, has there been any uh, reaction from uh, any of the players or, or coaches specifically uh, Edwin Diaz or Buck with with the the, the kind of kill Bill uh, hit by pitch uh, cam. <laughs> um, I haven't heard from Buck directly, and I I obviously I do cross his path once in a while because he's real close with Keith, and whenever we're out with Keith after the game, Buck will come over and chat with us. But he's never brought up the the 
the the uh, the Kill Bill uh, hit by pitch thing directly. I've heard through the grapevine that he was a little confused by it and didn't quite understand it at first. Um, but I I, I I was not I was never told not to do it. So <laughs> we're gonna, I so I, I I picked my spots and we took some chances and we did it. Um, as far as the players go. Uh, we we don't have a ton after since COVID we don't have a ton of uh, we don't have well, I should I should say we don't have as much um, communication with them as we used to they keep us sort of isolated now we used to be you know we used to take two buses you know from the ballpark to the airport now we take three and so they're able to spread out the the media from the players and the coaching staff but I with that being said. Uh, the cameraman that sort of hangs around the bullpen and runs in with Diaz and has many times this year. Obviously he knows Diaz at this point. And after the first time SMY posted the video and it got like I don't know, nine, 10 million views, uh, our camera operator, Pete Stendel, who's the handheld guy, he, he said to Diaz, Hey man, did you see, we went viral last night and Diaz like gave him the fist pump. And you know, it's, it's stuff like, it's stuff like that, that the guy sort of, because at the end of the day, it's good for SMY. It's good for the player. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, you know, obviously, obviously he had an incredible year and he was going to get paid no matter what, but it certainly helps that he's become a WWE superstar coming in from the bullpen. And it's, <laughs> it's exciting for me to be a part of that. So. Um, you've gotten, as, as we kind of covered, you've, you, you know, there's, you, you've had the chance to kind of spread your wings creatively a little bit this year. You've gotten a lot of uh, great press. Uh, Noah Gattel's article in New York times, of course, is, is sort of the, the, the spark that has you on this uh, episode after we talked about it in the last uh, episode of the show or uh, recent episode of the show. Um, I'm curious though, with that, does there come, uh, do you feel pressure for this coming season to sort of uh, continue down that road, continue uh, innovating? Yeah. Um, I never, I never, and this is my, this, so it's just, I, I consider last year my first full year directing. Um, but I've been, I've been, I've been at SMY, like I said, since 2009. So I felt the pressure early on and it's, it's something I've sort of, I've, I've thrived off of. I, it's, it, it's what makes it fun. You know, um, a lot of productions and a lot of broadcasts, they, they have a lot of meetings and they go over, you know, every single thing that they're going to do during the broadcast. That's not really how our broadcast works. Um, our producer, Greg Picker, has instilled in us since the very beginning um, that everybody sort of has a job to do. And it's sort of the Bill Belichick thing, like everybody, you know, do your job and everything will go smoothly. It's easy to say when you have the talented crew that we have in our booth that we have to say that. Um, but certainly there's pressure. And then, <clears throat> but at the same time, I have... I have a notebook full of things that I, 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 <laughs> I theoretically would like to try during for, <laughs> over the course of a baseball game. And um, I'm lucky enough to have the people in the truck that um, kind of, I'm able to bounce things off of and uh, ideas and the people that technically are able to design the things that I come up with and implement them over the course of a three hour game. And it's, um, there's pressure, but it's a good pressure. And it's not, it's not something that I'm ever going to shy away from. It certainly helps when the team wins. It's, it's hard to do the things that we did as a crew. If the team stinks or they're boring, mm. you know, it's it, a lot of, a lot of the attention we got um, 
was because the team is has you know won 100 ga- over 100 games yeah it's a feel good story so now exactly it's gonna you know, it's, and, yeah that, that's going to to help uh <laughs> exactly and no, nobody wants to see edwin diaz coming in from the bullpen with the trumpets and all of that if his era is six okay yeah. so it's it's sort of it's sort of a a tit for tat thing, you know. You, the team it has to play well. You have to have the right personalities. You have to have the right crew in place, and you have to have those moments come along. And then you have to kind of recognize those moments and and, and uh, attack. <laughs> That's how we view it, anyway. When you're developing, so you, you mentioned this notebook. Uh, I'm curious: is this something that uh, you jot down things when you're you know during the season uh, in game? Is this something where you're you're putting in prep time? Uh, in the off season, uh, are you studying uh, other game, other broadcasts, past broadcasts, anything like that? Is it all about just pulling from movies? What's what's sort of the, the creative process to to how this notebook gets filled, or is it not that uh, organized? It's, it's it's you know, I try not to watch a ton of baseball outside of what I do every night. First is that of for all, fear it, of is that for fear of uh, maybe like somebody else's work bleeding into yours? it's a couple things. It's, 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 it's that. Um, but it's also, there's only so much baseball a man can take. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, for a seven o'clock game, I'm getting to the ballpark around two thirty or three, and I'm going to be there until, you know, a half an hour, 45 minutes after the game ends, then I'm going to get on the train and go home. And it's just the next day I'm going to do it again. So just logistically speaking, it's hard to watch other broadcasts. Um, but at the same time, I don't really, um, I don't really want that that to bleed over into what I do creatively. And my, in the, like I mentioned, the Notebook, I I take a lot of notes watching movies. Um, I'll I'll see a cool transition, or a cool split screen, or um, a really uh, a really interestingly framed uh, shot, and I'll think, how oh, how can I implement that into what we do every night or how, you know, I, I'll see the way something is lit and I'll say, you know, I'll think about, wow, if I get a night game at the right angle from this, you know, with the, with the light stanchions that might look cool that with that way, or it's stuff like that. And um, that really sort of um, influences me and gets me excited to go into the ballpark every day. I try to, I try to do one good thing every game if i do one good thing every game at the end of the year i'm gonna have a lot of a lot of stuff for the emmy reel you know it's like um <laughs> don't you don't you don't you don't try to do it all in one game you don't try to get ahead of yourself you you can bring one good idea to the broadcast and it may not be something i do it may be something for the announcers it may be something for steve gelbs our sideline reporter it may be a cool graphic idea it's just try to do one great thing every day you're gonna be you're gonna be really happy with what you do at the end of the year how cognizant of the uh, the new rule changes uh, are you guys in terms of playing like things like the pitch clock or uh, you know the the potential for uh, you know more uh, more base stealing? I have uh, a Mets uh, fan cousin who put this idea in my head, and so I needed to to bring this over. But uh, an overhead uh, look uh, at base runners uh, in like in the corner, like you have in a video game, uh, that was the suggestion. Uh, anything any thoughts like that though like with with the rule changes coming the pitch clock more guys running any any ideas as far as angles that uh, can help with that i gotta tell you it's i'm sort of split on this because obviously the the game has become a little dusty um it's a little slow it's a you know 
I love the game and I love the pace of the game. But at the, at the end of the day, there's only so much time, you know, that people are willing to invest into watching a broadcast. Obviously the diehards will be mm. there for every pitch of every game, but it's the other, it's the, it's the sort of borderline fans that kind of baseball is going for, and they're not going to be watching three and a half hour baseball games. And so they're doing these drastic changes that they've implemented in the minor leagues and, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they, they take hold. Um, I'm a little concerned um, just from, uh, from my perspective, because the beauty of baseball, and I've said this before, the beauty of baseball is that there's no clock. It's um, it's what makes baseball such a cinematic sport to me that you have this, this lull between pitches that you're able to establish the geography of what's going on on the field, show base runners, show, show coaches giving signs, shoot the dugout, uh, establish the confrontation between pitcher and batter. Those are things that could potentially be lost with this pitch count, this pitch clock now. Um, yeah. Even the booth. I mean, you know, for, for yeah. teams with a, a more standard kind of uh, booth, uh, I'm sure it's not a concern, but for a booth that's so well established and, and mm-hmm. the, the give and take of the conversation is, is such a big part of the appeal. Uh, yeah, the, definitely. There, there definitely is the potential to lose something there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little concerned about what the clock may mean to, um, to our show. And I mean, and I, and I say show because that's how we view it. I mean, we're obviously doing a game, but we're putting on a show every night. People are, people are tuning in. They're choosing to watch us instead of Netflix or, Apple TV or Disney Plus, they're putting on SMY to watch the broadcast. Um, that's how I view it. It's, it's my favorite show. That's how I view ab- it. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's how we approach it. Um, and that starts with the guys in the booth. Um, I'm doing top ten. It's like top ten list season now for TV critics. I should see. I should sure. see how far I can get. Uh, <laughs> putting putting uh, SNY Mets games like the top five of like I'm sorry probably probably better call Saul's probably ahead of you guys, but uh, <laughs> I should see how we'll, how we'll far I can get with my bosses if I can get if I can get away with that. Oh, that would be great. I mean, I'm not sure that anybody's ever done that before, so you should definitely try that. To, yeah, to if not, it's going to be an honorable mention, I think. I think uh, <laughs> it definitely is an honorable mention. I will say, though, uh, the base ceiling thing is exciting to me because, um, to me, that's the most exciting play in sports. Uh, yeah. And, and tracking I, that, uh, I, I am I am looking forward and hoping uh, that happens. I have to – again, I have to be an advocate, though. The idea of, like, a little uh, box on the screen showing an overhead of where the base runners are, it's a good idea. I gotta say, you can have them for free. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I'll, I'll bring that. Up. I'll bring that up at our pre. Yeah. Uh, you can have them for free. Not that I can. Meeting. Not that I think we can actually give credit to that. I think that probably belongs to like uh, bases loaded, like on NES, uh, <laughs> for the the originators of that idea. But uh, <laughs> that's funny. That's um, funny. It's funny though because you see video games obviously borrow so much from the presentation of uh, broadcasts. Uh, but yeah, bro- borrowing uh, from a video game, so that's never really been done. Um, you mentioned not watching uh, too much baseball when, you know, obviously uh, baseball is your job. So, uh, you know, you don't necessarily, you know, drench yourself in it when you're not working. Uh, I'm curious, though, if you do find yourself catching uh, some of the other broadcasts when when the Mets, when SNY isn't broadcasting the game, like the Apple games or or, or ESPN or, or, or like the, the, the kind of the like the A-Rod, Michael K cast thing. What's your yeah. thought on some of the the things like that, or even player like mic'd up moments and stuff with players? Mm-hmm. Thoughts on on those uh, those um, elements? I would say that it's very hard to parachute in and do any broadcast, <clears throat> whether it be Apple TV, Fox, ESPN. Let alone to follow 
up after Gary, Keith, and Ron in this rabid fan base that Met fans are. Um, I don't envy them. If they're in the hardest position, I don't think that they have done themselves many favors with some of the inexperienced personnel that they may have put in the booth and putting them in bad situations. Um, but with that being said, um, those broadcasts, they do a nice job. They have the, the, the amount of equipment that they are able to bring, um, the amount of access that they get. You brought up the, the interviews on the field and the mic'd up stuff. It's not really my cup of tea, but it's, re- it, it's access that the regional networks like us don't really get. All of these, all of these um, big networks have national contracts with Major League Baseball where they are guaranteed the access that you see uh, when you watch those broadcasts, whether it be interviews with the manager between innings or interviews with the shortstop in the middle of an inning, <laughs> which I, I just hate. I really don't like those things. It's kind of cool access, and it was a nice feature for the All-Star game. But I get such anxiety listening to a booth interview a player on the field, especially an infielder, where he's got to be ready to, to, to you know field 110-mile-an-hour hit uh, you know hit balls off the bat and they're they're asking him questions as the pitch is coming and it's just it makes me so uncomfortable i'm not even i'm not even able to enjoy the the, the how cool it is that they're interviewing a player on the field so it's it's that's not really my cup of tea but the access is cool and it's sort of a novelty um whether or not it makes the broadcast more enjoyable is up for debate um but for the most part i I, I do think that these national broadcasts do do a good job. They have the personnel, they have the equipment. Um, they really are just kind of missing, you know, what makes Met fans feel at home, which is Gary, Keith, and Ron. Every night Met fans are invite those three guys into their homes every single night. They're part of the, they're part of basically part of the wallpaper in everybody's homes at this point. You know, it's, it, it, every night, you know, the, I'm sure people watch, you know, put the game on right around dinner time and, Gary, Keith, and Ron say welcome to the broadcast, and tonight's game is so-and-so and so-and-so, and it's just kind of become a nightly routine, and the moment that you lose that, <laughs> not only do you get a step down in quality slightly, but it's not, it doesn't feel like home, so. When did you know uh, that uh, you had their trust uh, as a director? Is there a specific moment, or did it just sort of, uh, was it at the start, or how, how did I, you get to that point? I was fortunate enough to learn the trade from one of the best that's ever done it. Um, A guy named Bill Webb. You probably have heard his name before. He directed the world series for uh, since Fox's inception, since they've started covering baseball, he basically created the Fox MLB look and the way the game is broadcast. He was one of the first directors to ever put cameras in the dugout. Um, He was most famous for really, uh, tight shots of fans watching the games with, you know, biting their nails, tight shots of players faces, faces and high, uh, high tension moments. You know, his, one of his most famous shots was the Kurt Schilling, Schilling bloody sock that he fit, that he picked out. He, he was really sort of the, the Fellini of baseball and really the first rock star baseball director. And he was SNY's first director he he was the the lead director at SMY and I first got to meet him during my internship in 2009 and I got to sit behind him and do 
pretty much every job there is in the truck right behind him. And most importantly, I got to sit, I got to sit with him after games. The way this wall works is on the road, we all kind of stick together, the production group. We go to the ballpark together. We come back from the ballpark together. After the game, we sit at the hotel bar. We talk about what just happened. We talk about whatever. I got to sit with Bill Webb after pretty much every road game for almost a decade, picking his brain. You know, at the hotel bar, there might be another baseball game on, and he'd look at me and say, direct this game, you know, cut the cameras right now. You know, and he would say, tell me when I messed up and tell me what, you know, that sequence was good. And it would be stuff like that. And so you talked about earning the announcer's trust. The fact that I earned Bill Webb's trust was enough for them to sort of trust me initially. Um, and they've always sort of um, known who I am creatively and my knowledge for the game. Um, so they never really were worried about that, whether I could handle the position of director really came from their trust in that I learned from the best that ever literally ever lived. So <clears throat> to have their confidence is really, you know, it's, it's a, a feather in my cap that I I'm, I'm very proud of and I don't take for granted. Is that a goal for you? Uh, obviously your, your focus right now is on putting out the best product and, and, you know, continuing to feel, you know, fulfilled creatively, but is that a goal for you at some point to be in that seat in a bar talking to, uh, the next the next iteration to pass that baton uh, is that a goal for you down the road? Yeah, that's part of the fun. That's part of the fun of it is seeing the look on somebody's face when they come into the truck for the first time, whether it be an intern or a, a production runner or somebody from the studio that's never been out to the truck. Seeing the look on their face when they see that monitor wall for the first time. And looking over my shoulder between commercial breaks after, you know, something exciting just happened in the truck and they just are their mouth, their jaws on the floor. So I, I love showing people what I get to do. Um, and I love talking baseball. I love talking television. Um, and I'm more than happy to, to kind of give people the shot that I got from, you know, I, this was all unexpected for me. I didn't think that I would be here. I grew up a diehard Mets fan in North Carolina who just happened to be obsessed with the Mets and have sort of a production background that interned for the network in 2009. So here, here, here were my options in 2009. I knew that I wanted to spend the summer in New York. I'm in North Carolina at NC State. I knew that I wanted to spend the summer in New York. I had a, I had a little bit of money that I'd saved up over the course of years to spend the summer there. I wanted I, I I I submitted an application to SNY for my internship. If that didn't work out, my backup plan was to apply to be part of the Pepsi Party Patrol at City Field, and like shoot like the cannon with T-shirts at City Field. That's what that's what I was banking on doing. One of those two things. Fortunately, I got the internship at SNY, and fell in love with with everything that goes on in that production truck. Like I just mentioned before about the people that go into the truck for the first time. That was me. The first time I walked in that truck and I saw Bill Webb and I saw the way that the game gets put on the air, I knew that I was in the right spot and it was exactly where I needed to be. Um, but I, it's, it's, such a, it's such a random 
you know, sequence of events that led me here, I am more than happy to pay that forward to whoever shows the interest or is it is as engaged as I was because they're, they are out there and we have a great group of guys that, you know, that work, that work below me and with me that I have, I like to think of myself as sort of a, a mentor to them. And they, uh, they had that same look in their eye when they walked into the truck that I had that first day. And it's, um, it's exciting for me. I love that kind of stuff. Have you ever had a chance to fire a t-shirt cannon though? <laughs> no, no. I walk past that. I walk past those guys all the time. Mr. Met has his own little room. I think you need to, uh, <laughs> I think you need to try to make that happen this year. You know what? That's a great call. I need to, I need to, I need to get in touch with the higher, higher up Steve Cohen yeah. and, and see if we can pull that off. <laughs> yeah, let's see if Uncle Steve can, can hook you up with a, yeah, with right? a cannon of your own. How is Mr. Met? Is he a diva? He's a bit of a diva. You can be honest. You know, I hate to say, it, I think there are multiple guys that play him. I don't know. I would imagine, true. I would hope, because yeah, he's everywhere, if not. <laughs> um, you know, I he's got a bit of a big head, but he's a decent guy. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, curious how a kid from North Carolina uh, becomes a Mets fan. Um, both my parents are from New York. My dad's from Long Island. Ah, okay. And so he instilled in me very early. Um, for better or worse, my Mets fandom. Um, so it, his dad's a Yankee fan. I go, Dad, you could have, you could have made me a Yankee fan. I could have enjoyed '96 to '96 to 2001. It's 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 only enjoyable on the surface because then it becomes every year. Uh, no, you it's you know what? I'm grateful that he made me a Mets fan. It's made me a it's made me a, a tougher person. You know, you gotta you gotta have a certain level of fortitude to make it. You know, in the orange and blue. And you know, I've I've been here for 35 years now, and I, I <laughs> I'm looking forward to the next 35. I guess so. Hopefully, <laughs> I get a championship at some point. That'd be nice. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> How much do you play your personnel? Obviously, the Diaz thing is one thing, and the Grom thing uh, that moment specifically uh fit very much to that song and to to sort of the idea of, of who he is um i'm curious about some of the other players and their personalities because it's a, it's quite a collection that they have right now with with pete and, and lindor and, and and scherzer and everybody uh, i'm just curious about how much like thought goes into that as far as like how you're filming these guys so there's a pretty there's a this this goes for every team there's a pretty decent buffer between the players and the production you know Anything that we do, whether it be putting a microphone on a guy or, you know, doing a feature on a guy, it kind of has to go through a thousand different channels for it to get done. Um, even though we always have the player's best interest in mind, not the not every player is willing to 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 do the things that you know we may want to do um, from a production standpoint. But as far as you know, my job goes with it as the director. You really look for, it's not really about the personalities. It's more about the moments. Like, like we talked about earlier, it's it, cause it, you know, baseball, the beauty of baseball is the 25th man can come off the bench and hit a game winning home run just as likely as, you know, the three or four hitter. <clears throat> and obviously there are guys that the camera likes Lindor, the camera likes Lindor. He's always doing something over at shortstop, whether it's talking to an umpire, talking to a guy on first base, smiling. Guillaume, he's always over wherever position he's gonna gonna be at. He's always spinning his glove like a basketball on his finger. You know, there over the course of a season, you kind of pick out the you know the 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 moments that you're able to 
showcase the players' best aspects. Um, at some point this year, we we established a pretty good relationship with uh, Starling Marte, and we had our camera guy after wins sprint in from the bullpen and try to keep up with Marte before he embraced his teammates at center field. And he had some fun with our camera guys, like, come on, try to keep up, try to keep up. And then we, our camera guy finally gets to the, to the meeting at center field, but between the left fielder, the center fielder and the right fielder. And they give like a big family hug and a thumbs up to the camera. And it's sort of, um, that's the way you kind of establish a kind of unseen relationship with the players, because I'm, I'm out in the truck. I'm out and you know, the, the players, the players have seen me on the team plane and the team bus for 162 games a year since 2010. I was on, I was on the charter and they don't know what I do. They have no idea what I do for, for all they know, I'm a writer or they, they have no idea. So um, the way I establish relationships with them is through the lens and um, the way that they're uh, showcased uh, nightly on the broadcast because their families are watching and their families are going to tell them, trust me, <laughs> Gary, Keith and Ron always get a report card from the players. Oh, my wife said you that, you know, you, the second guess this decision or, you know, the, their families are all watching, but yeah, that's the, kind of the beauty of, of SMY is we've never been um, pushed to be quote unquote homers in any fashion. Um, we sort of have carte blanche when it comes to covering the game um, and be doing it honestly and doing it more from a national perspective. Um, obviously it's good for us when the Mets win, we're, you know, it's, it's more exciting when the Mets win, but at the end of the day, if the Mets are losing, we're still going to do the game, right? You're never yeah, going mean, to hear. To be completely yeah. honest. Yeah. I've, I've watched, um, some other teams broadcasts. I'm not going to name yeah. names, but uh, I've named them on other episodes. But uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Homer thing is, is grating, uh, and not just because you're you know actively rooting against the team that they're being homers for, uh, mm-hmm. but it's just it's just it's embarrassing actually to tell yeah, it's very very, very very cringy. To, to it is, and and I, you don't get that off of off of off of these guys. You don't get that from the, from this broadcast. No, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never get it. It doesn't matter who owns the team or network. As far as I'm concerned, the broadcast will never change as long as Gary, Keith and Ron are in the booth, because it all kind of starts with them. You know, they're able to second guess and um, be honest about what their eyes see. It gives us the freedom to do the same. Um, You know, I'm not afraid when Pete strikes out with the bases loaded, to stay with him when he goes to the dugout and he breaks his bat and he slams his helmet against the helmet rack. A lot of teams aren't able to do that. Um, I found that um, during, I brought up earlier in the interview, the world feed scenario when we were forced during the pandemic to take a feed from the home broadcast. And I would, I would say to our producer, you know, why the hell aren't these teams showing their manager um when he's on the phone to call the bullpen, like they're just not showing their manager. And I've ta- and I talked to some of these directors and they say, the team does not want me to show the manager when something bad happens. Jeez. And so it's, you'd be shocked to, to hear, maybe you wouldn't, 
that with some of the the guidelines that some of these broadcasts and teams have when it comes to their product. And thank God I work for SMY. Thank God I work for the Mets because we just it just doesn't really exist. Like occasionally we'll hear something, you know, so they won't love something that they hear or see. But they're really it's few and far between, and it's not nothing. It's nothing to that's going to reshape the broadcast. It's like, it's very little minutia uh, that, that is easily, you know, fixed. So. Obviously you're around uh, superstars uh, in, in Gary, Ron and Keith. And, 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 you know, like you said, you, you come across players from time to time. I'm curious though, uh, if you ever got uh, wind of, you know, a De Palma or a Tarantino uh, noting the, uh, the, the tributes that you're doing, what your response to that would be, would there be just absolute, uh, crippling or how would how would you receive that is that a starstruck kind of thing i would be more excited to be to for those guys to 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 acknowledge me than than to any baseball player manager or tv personality trust me you you said i'm around superstars gary keith and ron i to me, there's you guys are your coworkers. Those, those guys are just kind of my my kind of crazy uncles at this point. <laughs> you know, it's like I spend more time or just as much time with those guys as I do my own family, and so it's like it, I get that they're you know they are who they are, and people do view them as the celebrity that they probably are. But to me, they're just Gary Keith and Ron, like the guys that I work with that are kind of wacky and fun, and you know that we you know we have a few laughs here and there and you know they're my co-workers I mean everyone everybody has co-work that's kind of how I view them and the players for better or worse you know it's hard to be a fan and do what I do because you are exposed to things that you know that people the the people at home don't really want to see or should they see and so over time uh, it's it's I've, I've tried to kind of keep my distance from the players because I do I do want that mystique to still be there. And I do want them to be, you know, the players on the field, but you know, you're in this job long enough. They, it's not always the case. Um, And that's too bad, but I do try to keep that fandom in the back of my head. And as as much as I try to bury it, it's always there. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't be rid of it. Um, The Mets have been such a big part of who I am growing up. And obviously part of my adult life my career um it's hard to deny that fanhood because it is kind of who i am so that mystique for the players is that a vital part of the work uh of the the end result and if you felt like you were starting to lose it would it be time to find something else yeah i think i think um i i try to i from the truck i always try to look at the game from the audience's perspective i'm trying to i'm trying to make these players look like superheroes i i you know i want i want edwin diaz to look like he's you know stone cold steve austin coming in uh (laughs) from the bullpen you know it's you're not you're not you never you never you know if even if a player is a, a jerk to me or you know or i hear something about a player that i don't like never let that bleed into what I do, you know, from the truck. It's, um, it is, it's, it's, I'm a professional and it's, uh, I, before I got this job, I, obviously I, I watched probably 120 to 140 Met games a year, every year, no matter what was going on. And I know what people expect and I'm going to give it to them. Um, I'll never, I'll never let that kind of thing 
uh, bleed into what I do every on a nightly basis ever. But if you if you lost that awe that you you, you keep preserved uh, in your heart, that even if it's not sure. like obviously a fully operating thing, and you obviously can't yeah. you know wear it on your on your sleeve at all times. But if you started to feel like you lost that awe, it started feeling like it was just you know essentially akin. I think to, so. I, I think, store I think, commercial. Would you would that be time for you to find something else? I think as long as I still have an avenue avenue to express myself creatively, whether it be baseball, basketball, football, or a you know. Uh, a, a car commercial like if as long as i have that avenue and freedom to express myself creatively i'm gonna i'm gonna uh i'm still gonna be inspired to, to come to work every day i'm fortunate enough that i found an avenue and i was fortunate enough and to <laughs> to express myself within an avenue that i do have so much interest in and a lifetime of fandom and embedded knowledge and appreciation of you know, the team, the sport in general. And um, it's sort of, uh, it's sort of, uh, it's a real treat for me to kind of have the blending of my, you know, my lifelong interest and passion with, you know, something that has become a passion in the last 15 years, this, this love for film and cinema and uh, creativity that uh, I, I try to bring to the table. So so the physical media thing, is that yeah. from uh, just a worry about streaming and just at any point in time, the license could switch over or you could lose access to something? Is that what the, that is? Or is it just the like love of having something tangible in your hands? Uh, it's it, it goes way back. I I loved VHS tapes when I was a kid. I When DVDs came around, uh, it was, you know, I was I collected those as a kid every Christmas. I would give them my, my, my Christmas list was just movies. It was DVDs, you know, it was eventually criterion collection DVDs. And I would literally print out the pictures of the cover art for my parents and make sure they got the right versions of the DVDs and make sure they were <laughs> widescreen and not full screen. And so I had that collector in me, but um, the physical collecting on the physical format, it's um, it, there is the fear that at any time Netflix can pull anything, pull a show or, you know, HBO Max, you know, who knows what they're going to be down the road. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if you on Netflix, it's hard. If you want to watch something prior to 1999, it's it's hard to find. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's there's you can you can get things on video on demand. But a lot of the a lot of those on demand uh, are like VHS, VHS or DVD rips from God knows when. Um Owning it in the physical format is the only way to enjoy it um, to the to the, uh, the, the the highest quality. When when you're watching something in 4K streaming, you're not actually watching it in 4K because it, it's so compressed by the time it hits your TV. It's not 4K. The only way to watch it in 4K, and if you have a sound system with Adobe Atmos, you know, soundtrack, is to watch it on a disc, and that is you know. You know, if you're able to 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 afford it, you know, to to, to own the, the the movie, you know, it's it's um it's it's really <laughs> night and day. And if you're not going to be in a movie theater, the next best thing is to watch it on physical media. And then there's the whole thing of supporting these boutique labels that do the restoration work on, you know, older movies or stuff that is you know little seen and 
you know, exploitation cinema, black and white, uh, you know, stuff from stuff pre 19, 1990, you know, it's, it's, they're putting in the work to restore these titles and they're really from an, from an archive ar archivist point of view, it's, um, it's important work because uh, these movies, these movies aren't getting any younger and um, the, the, the original camera negatives aren't getting any younger and the, by by doing these scans on these movies they're able to not only deliver it to the people at home but they're preserving the film um so it's it's important work uh for me and you know i do like having it in my hand i like looking into my you know my my movie room and saying that you know i, I no one's taking these away from me they're going to be here for the next 100 years they're my movies uh <laughs> at the same time i do stream i think streaming is really important too just from an accessibility standpoint but um yeah I, I i prefer the physical format man it's the way to go special features also i mean i'm a sucker yeah for a commentary even track, which you can never get on on any kind of which i, I it's such a missed opportunity for the streaming services in my opinion but yeah. Uh, yeah, you can never get uh, access to those and plus like you said some of the criterion things some of the essays and stuff that they include with them they really uh, it goes uh, above and yeah, beyond. It's, like, I am... it's film school in a box, man. I mean, uh, <laughs> it seriously is. You can you can you can learn the ins and outs of the business creatively just from just from sticking in a, the special features on a on, on a movie. It's just and the stuff that the, some of these boutique labels doing are, are doing now is incredible. Whether it be Vinegar Syndrome, Severin, it's uh, it's pretty spectacular. It's a lot of fun to collect. So it's now's now's honestly it's. It's kind of crazy to say it's sort of the golden age of, of 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 physical media when it comes to you know the the incredible releases we're getting for these obscure films. It's just um it's just it's it's so much fun to to follow it and collect. The technical stuff is great, but honestly, I love just a good good hang. John Carpenter and Kurt Russell, Ben Affleck, you know, bashing Michael Bay on the Armageddon uh, commentary <laughs> track, like stuff like that. I love. Absolutely, uh, I'm right there with you, man. Yeah um what's your uh to borrow uh from uh the the tome of high fidelity what's your uh what's your sorting situation how are these uh organized are they organized <laughs> i i so i'm alphabetical with the exception of the the labels that i have a lot of so criterion is separate i probably have 500 criterion alone wow um but i don't organize by spine because i'd never be able to find anything i organize the criterion by alphabetical um, I also have my vinegar syndrome separate because I'm a subscriber and I have hundreds of vinegar syndrome titles. Um, but for the most part, oh, my, also I have my arrow video stuff separate for the most part, everything else is alphabetical. Um, I'm running out of space, which is a problem. <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> I'm looking into learning some carpentry skills to build some new shelves in my house. But, uh, that seems to be the biggest issue I have right now. But yes, for the most part, I would say I'm 80% alphabetical. Uh, I would say I am I am embarrassingly far behind you in terms of uh, the numbers, probably closer mm -hmm. to 200 or so. Yeah. Um, I, a little baby just got his first uh, vinegar syndrome order uh, on Black Friday. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Hell Comes to Frogtown and Dead Heat. Oh, nice. Dead Heat's great. That's a that's a new 4K scan, too, on that movie. Yeah. That's good. That, that, that one's movie. beautiful. I love that movie. And there's a Mets connection because Joe Piscopo in the uh, the, uh, the right. Mets. The Let's uh, the Go Mets go video. Yeah, Let's Go Mets video. Yeah. Right. Uh, with the bobbleheads. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. 
but I have mine uh, alphabetized uh, by uh, by genre, by decade, and then alphabetical. But when you have a, an adorably small collection like I do, it's it's probably a little bit more of a easier to keep them uh, in in such a way like that. <laughs> yeah, my wife would love if I had an adorably small collection because <laughs> the, I, I called it my movie room. It used to be her office, <laughs> and it's sort of like it's sort of grown and like the plague in there <laughs> my movies have taken over so <laughs> so any filmmakers specifically that you you are just like in, in inspired by um, i know it's very basic for me to say this but i love quentin tarantino i i i, I can't get enough of him he um he has sort of opened up my um my cinematic taste to more uh of the exploitation stuff that he references in his films and sort of branched out my love for film to places that you know I never thought they would go I mean he, I'm even reading his new book right now and I'm I, I, I read it with a highlighter and I'm like oh I haven't seen that it's a movie that he mentioned you know at the end of the, and when I finish the book I'm probably going to have two dozen movies or more that I'm going to watch because he brought them up and am I going to like them all no but because he brought them up, I'll probably give them a shot at some point down the road. Um, so I, I, the, it's my it's a basic answer, but I, I think Tarantino, <clears throat> he's um, he came around at the right time for me. I mean, uh, I, I saw Kill Bill in the movie theater when I was I, I guess I was would have been fourteen or fifteen, and I probably saw it in the movie theater literally ten times. And so it's a it's a nostalgia thing, but it's also I feel like he speaks a cinematic cinematic language that I really appreciate. I understand, and uh, people call him a copycat, but it's a, it's he he really opened up my cinephile brain, you know, at a very young age. And I always go back to him as being my quote unquote favorite. Um, I also love Brian De Palma. I think I think um, I, I, I mentioned speaking cine cinematic language. Nobody has a, a more distinct cinematic language in the last 45, 50 years than Brian De Palma. He's what he what he's able to do visually um, really is inspiring for me um, as a even as an even as a baseball director. Um, I love David Cronenberg. Pretty much anything he's ever done, except his most recent movie. I didn't love Crimes of the Future. Um, I love Paul Verhoeven. RoboCop's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Lars von Trier, I, as depressing as the stuff as he does, I love his movies. Obviously, Scorsese. Um, I don't know. It's I I I kind of um, I kind of have a I'm more I kind of lean more into the genre directors than anybody. I, I like you brought up John Carpenter. I love Carpenter, um, but I. I I really don't discriminate. I always try. I, in fact, I always try to watch every film nominated every Oscar year. And I've been, I think I've watched, I think other than the shorts, I've been successful doing that like each of the last seven or eight years. And so I do try to see everything. I don't like everything, but I do try to see everything. Um, uh, whether it be, you know, a cheesy B movie, uh, an Italian <laughs> Euro crime movie from the seventies or, the newest, uh, you know, award favorite, you know. I went and uh, this weekend, basically like a kid uh, where, uh, you know, his uh, school project is due on Monday. I basically crammed in like 
six or seven uh of like the the most well-regarded films to try and like just make sure that i had like eyes on them before i finished. Yeah. so now the list is just completely drowning in recency bias and uh <laughs> but uh yeah i checked out there's so many good like i saw the northman uh this weekend absolutely oh i i, I in my mind so I'm I'm in a Discord with with a bunch of other uh, physical media collectors, and today we 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 did a premature like top twenty list of the year, and I I went through my list, and I I have the Northman at number one right now, and it, that wasn't a very popular choice within our group, but I am a sucker for Robert Eggers, man. I I and I thought that I I absolutely love the Northman. Speaking of commentary tracks, there's a great commentary track on that disc that that came out uh, earlier this year. Where Eggers is very, very honest about working within the studio structure and how he'll probably never do it again. Um, but I, I thought what came out at the end was 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 spectacular. I, I, I loved the Northman. Uh, I'm trying to see right now because I don't remember where I put it on my uh, list. It's definitely top five for me. Um, <laughs> nice, nice. Here. I didn't have his number one. I saw uh, everything, uh, everywhere, all at once. Uh, I one. got that. I've I've got that at seven right now. My as of as of this recording, I have the Northman at number one. I have Bones and All at number two. Um, I have the movie X at number three, and obviously Pearl at number four, right behind it. The new the two Ty West horror movies that came out this year. I have Barbarian at number five. Mm, uh, so do I. Yeah. Um, and I have Elvis at six. I, I know that's also not a kind of a hot take. A lot of people don't like Elvis that in, in the, you know, film Twitter world, but I thought Elvis was spectacular. And I'm a sucker for Baz Luhrmann because I brought up De Palma and, you know, he's being a visual director. <laughs> There's not many guys more visual than, than, than Baz Luhrmann these days. Um, everything everywhere all at once at seven. I have triangle of sadness at eight, which I watched actually on a, flight recently <laughs> it's quite an interesting movie to watch on a flight there's a lot of uh uh unsavory unsavory visuals in that one which i but i thought it was hysterical i thought it was great i have uh the fablemans at nine mm. uh, the dude spielberg and actually i have at number 10 i have all quiet in the western front but the the the, the netflix movie which I, I hope gets a physical release at some point but i just thought that movie was spectacular i would love to see it in, on a 4k disc at some point but uh yeah that that would be my top 10 as of the sure recording i'm sure, sure it's going to change but i have a lot <laughs> yeah. of i have a lot of catching up to do on the the award season movies i've got uh just for comparative sake sure. uh, the thing everywhere all at once is number one the northland actually have a two uh i have no but three uh emily the criminal which is like was given like james con thief vibes to me i uh, love that movie so i've never she's yeah. the best work she's ever done uh and she's always great but i i thought yeah. that movie was phenomenal yeah absolutely uh barbarian number five uh glass onion uh number six uh good luck to you to you leo grand uh is another great uh performance is that a hulu movie it is with emma Thompson. yeah i, I saw that i saw that that was good that was really good yeah. it's really great adult like dramedy kind of thing Totally. Uh, I have Do Revenge at number eight. I don't know if you saw that one. What is that? Do Revenge is in that uh, space, the, like Mean Girls and Clueless and stuff like that. But it's just a fun movie, uh, just about like like popularity and and it's, it's just a, it's just a fun, funny movie. Just very sharply written, so sharply written. Uh, I'll have to check that out. 
I have it's on Netflix. I have Fresh at number nine, which is this weird. I saw that. That was great. Up. Yeah, the Sebastian. Yeah, Stan. yeah. One, I want to give that one a rewatch because that came out so early this year that I I gave it high marks, but I would love to revisit it because it was such a good movie. Yeah, that is a good. That is a great movie. And then Vengeance uh, with uh, the B.J. Novak uh, film, which I thought was really good too. Oh, I haven't checked that one out yet. Very, very. Um, is I it a comedy think, or is it? It's like a dramedy, but there's there definitely there's definitely a bit of social commentary and satire on like the nature gotcha. of fame and podcasts and stuff like that. And it's really, uh, and just sort of performative uh, gestures. It's really. Uh, an interesting layered work I did not expect uh, going into it. I was kind of dismissive of it going into it, actually. Uh, but it was, it was actually uh, really, really good. I haven't seen a few, though, that are on a lot of other people's lists. I haven't seen the menu. I haven't seen a few of the ones that you mentioned. I just I just saw the menu last week. I went in with very high hopes for it, and it worked. Um it didn't it left it left me i hate to use a pun but it left me a little hungry by the time it was over (laughs) it didn't didn't quite fill that void um all the pieces were kind of there i just don't feel like it stuck the landing the performances were good obviously the lead performance was was phenomenal um but i left me wanting a little bit more it didn't quite stick it for me I mean, yeah, it happens sometimes. It's just, it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. You know, quite as the, far as you're hoping it's going to go. Yeah, and certainly. I didn't, I I didn't buy a lot of the motivations in it. It was just kind of, it kind of just took me out of it. Um, with that being said, it was not bad. It was not bad. I think I gave it a, I don't do the star system. I gave it a, a B minus. I want to see uh, Violent Night. I haven't seen that yet. Um, I haven't seen that one yet either. <laughs> I probably owe my listeners uh, a, a pivot back to baseball. <laughs> uh, but I was having fun and it's the end of the year season and fuck it. Um, exactly. Well, so I ask on every episode what your favorite baseball movie is, but I want to ask you that, but I also want to ask you what baseball movie uh, visually doesn't have to be the most accurate, but which one captures uh, everything about baseball from the romance to the technical, uh, you know, to the space, to everything. What, which films. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, it's that's that's tough. So because most baseball movies are sort of comedies, and they don't those aren't always the most visually engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, my my, I would say my favorite baseball movies are. I have a daughter now, so I I've been inclined to to, to go with a league of a, a league of their own right off the top. Um, I, I've always loved the Bad News Bears. <laughs> my favorite movie growing up actually was major league <laughs> i mean i i think that may be the most quotable movie in my repertoire is, is major league and it never gets old anytime that's on i'll leave that on um my my one sort of wild card when it comes to favorite baseball movies would be bingo long traveling all stars and motor kings mm. I don't know if you've seen that one it's just Billy it's, williams it's, yeah richard Pryor. yeah it's, 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 it's been a while it's an interesting movie uh it it it's sort of uh it's sort of a uh, kind of a, they're sort of the Harlem Globe Globe Trotters of baseball. Yeah, the barnstorm tours. It's yeah, got, yeah, it's got an incredible cast, incredible cast. But as, as far as visuals go, and the easy answer is Field of Dreams. There's a reason why Major League Baseball went to <laughs> went to the the, the actual cornfields the last two years and did that broadcast. And I love what Fox did. I mean, that speaks like directly to my soul the way that they did that with 
Kevin Costner walking out of the field, walking out of the cornfields and turning over, turning, looking over his shoulder and they rack focus to the players coming out of the corn. I was just like, oh my God, I immediately sent an email to their director. <laughs> I was like, that was amazing. Uh, super grateful for John uh, coming on, on the podcast, talking about just really, and he does such a good job of walking the line, like he explained, of giving making this something that people who've been watching baseball for 30 40 50 years however long something that's not going to not going to freak them out uh while still innovating still showing new touches and innovative touches uh and making these these broadcasts specifically stand out. I watch a lot of baseball I watch the feed from other teams sometimes late at night I'll watch the west coast games I watch you know I watch some of the national broadcasts the Mets broadcast on SNY is the best in the game. And like John was talking about, you know, a big element of that is, is the amazing chemistry between Keith Hernandez, Ron Darling, and Gary Cohen. But it's also the work that John does. It's the work that all those guys and all those people that, that he works in the truck with, what they do. It's it's really, a, as he described it, it's a team effort, but it is a, uh, a superior product they put out there with uh, a lot of vision and a lot of fun. So... I hope you enjoyed getting a listen to sort of some of the elements, the ambition and thoughts that go into creating that. I can't wait for the first game to come back. So for now, this will have to tide us over. And then we can also just go on MLB.TV and watch reruns. Because uh, if, if it's your favorite show, what, what do you do when there are new episodes? You watch reruns. So <laughs> why we don't do that? Just watch a bunch of baseball games. Try to see if you can forget what the results were. And it's like it's new. You just can pretend that you're in July. Uh, instead of in December. So anyway, this was a tremendous episode. You can find John on Twitter at John DeMarsico. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JTabris, T-A-B-R-Y-S. Uh, the, the party keeps rolling. Uh, more episodes on the way. Looking to keep it going. Got a few feelers out for the next guests. Uh, should have one. I feel like we're definitely going to have at least one more before the holidays and before New Year's. Might be two uh, episodes uh, before the end of the year. Not sure, depending on schedules and conversations and stuff like that. But uh, I'm I'm all in. I'm loving this. I hope you are too. I hope you subscribe to the podcast. I hope you subscribe to the Baseball Weirdness newsletter, uh, which I launched about a month ago, which is a mix of some bits from baseball's past, some weird stuff, uh, some fun stuff like you know funny commercials and late night appearances, hype songs, stuff like that. It's just it's just a ball uh, to go through and find that stuff and and potentially leading to another project that. Uh, I'm going to be working on off and on in the new year um, that'll be connected to all of this. Uh, but uh, it's that, but it's also my thoughts on everything baseball culture. Uh, if you follow me, you know that I do write about baseball sometimes at work. Uh, and I've you know done a few interviews and a few features there on, on baseball stuff. I'll continue to do that stuff. But uh, this is more for just kind of like quick reactions to everything going on from players signing to Hall of Fame ballots to, you know, any kind of controversies that break out, just, you know, trying to give my opinion there. So uh, I hope you enjoy that. If you enjoy my work elsewhere, I think you'll enjoy that. Uh, and uh, so again, I definitely urge you to subscribe to that. Uh, and please share uh, every, just share everything, everything that I post, just be a constant, uh, just mirror for everything that I post uh, to all of your followers. Is that too much to ask? Really? Is it? I don't think so. Uh, that's the end of the show. Again, many thanks to John DeMarsco for coming on. That's it. No more show. Uh, see you next time. Goodbye.